Neuronisa Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Mondays in Poesis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. With me in the studio are Rebecca Gallo and Connie Antis, who form the Artists Duo Make or Break, and they are here to tell us about their project, the Department of Non-Human Resources, which is currently unfolding at the Lismore Regional Gallery, which is on the lands of Banjalong Nation. Thank you, Connie and Rebecca, for joining us this morning. Thank you for having us. I believe you have been spending a bit of time in between Lismore and Sydney these days. So you're obviously in Sydney this morning. Are you going to Lismore anytime soon? Yeah, we have our fourth and final trip to Lismore planned for next week to coincide with the conclusion of the project that we've been running up there for the last couple of months at the Lismore Regional Gallery. And the project is the Department of Non-Human Resources. So describe this project to us in some words, whatever number of words you would like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Department of Non-Human Resources is a kind of speculative thinking together project that we have set up in order to open conversations with the local community in Lismore around what collective futures look like. And Mm -hmm. that might be really practical stuff like how might civic spaces like a museum or a gallery need to function differently in a future that's affected by things like climate change Mm -hmm. or poverty or extreme other kinds of extreme weather events. But it's also a chance to, I guess, pull into focus the idea that humans aren't necessarily the centre of the world in which we live and that there are lots of other kinds of knowledge and experiences that we as humans can learn from, be that from relationships between animals, plants, be that soil, be that weather patterns, be that architectural spaces. So the space we've set up um, as part of this project in Lismore is sort of an open thinking space. There are some creative prompts that we invite people when we're not there to sort of undertake for themselves, but largely it's sort of an open space that's about decentering human perspectives and learning from the non-human mm. in the world around us. And Rebecca, all the elements in the exhibition are made of recycled and rebuilt or repurposed materials found on the site. Yeah, that's right. So everything in the space is either borrowed or repurposed. We have some tables for working at that are made from gallery exhibition materials. So there's we've turned the uh, plinths, which would generally be used for housing sculptural objects, we've turned them into this table base and then MDF that's used as well for sort of creating a stage or creating a, a platform um, is, is now being used as a as a tabletop for the workspace. We've borrowed some materials from a local sort of uh, industrial recycling shop and we've also constructed some of the seating in the space from a a product that is actually produced by the waste department up at Lismore City Council. And um, this is one of the more interesting materials in the space that has sort of started a lot of conversations. So is um, that the reverse snake? Are we talking about reverse snake, the, no, the soft sculpture? This is, um, I don't know if you've seen images of the, like these sort of fluffy looking bricks, that these are polystyrene bricks that they kind of are these weird extruded cubes, cubes made of like 
yeah, this extruded line that sort of runs back and forth to, to form a cube. And it's this recycled product that they produce up there in the waste department at Lismore. And basically they take big sort of one-ton sandbag full of polystyrene heated up and it gets sort of melted out into this product. And those bricks eventually get repurposed into new products. But we've sort of purloined them in this in-between stage when they're sort of this quite unrecognisable mm. product. And, and we've used those bricks to make some little stools and some other objects in the space. And yeah, it's been really interesting just for even local people to sort of come in and, you know, have that moment of surprise to kind of understand that, oh, this is something that, you know, happens here. This is a way that materials and resources are getting kind of processed and reused. And people have been quite enchanted by that, which is really lovely. Mm. Since you're mentioning whether I have seen images, where could people see images? What's your Instagram account? Maybe they just want to check it as they have a listen. Yeah, um, our Instagram is make.or.break. Make.or.break. Yeah. So if you want to have a look at some of the images from the Department of Non-Human Resources by Make or Break Duo, you can do it right now as you're listening to us talk about it. So you have been mentioning uh, the involvement of community and the research that you have done in development of this project. And I believe you spent actually a couple of uh, weeks, at least in Lismore, as you were developing the project, uh, talking to the local knowledge sources uh, of various kinds. What was the preparation for this exhibition like? Um, well, I guess we as a collective have quite a unusual process by which we approach invitations to make projects in particular places. I think Beck and I are both very conscious of the fact that even though we have a particular set of knowledges and skills that when we are asked to come to a place to make a project that we always want to create space for local knowledges to, I guess, interact with our own knowledges and come together and sort of make something with those communities that we're invited into. And this project, I guess, is no different in that respect. So you're right, we did spend a couple of weeks, probably two months prior to coming up to begin the project in Lismore by sort of acknowledging that, especially with regards to living in different kinds of ways or experimenting with um, modes of future living that Lismore and the surrounding communities already have quite a depth of knowledge. You know, the Northern Rivers region has lots of intentional communities that have existed for like many decades now. There are a lot of people working with food in interesting ways. A lot of people who are sort of, I guess, exploring like a future where work as in nine to five work isn't you know necessarily an expectation or even potentially possible um so we really wanted to go up as part of that research trip and make some contact with people living and experimenting in different ways with what life could look like now and in mm. the future so that was really interesting for us and so we went there with i guess like a broad project in mind which was particularly focused around, I guess, how a gallery participates in ecologies of wastes and production and use of resources, but also how it sort of interacts, what its role in the community is as a mm -hmm. civic space, as a space which is essentially owned by the people mm -hmm. it's there for or there to serve. 
And so it was really interesting for us to spend some time just talking and letting conversations unfold before we sort of formulated, I guess, the specifics of what the exhibition or the project might come to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something which we're quite familiar with working in that mode where we sort of create a framework for thinking and making in, but it's not determined before the exhibition opens. So we don't really know how the exhibition or the project will unfold. That's very much to be determined in collaboration with the communities that we're there to Mm. speak with and learn from. And I assume in this particular project, also in collaboration with the non-human resources. Uh, So were you exploring the non-human as you were on the site? For instance, you were uh, one of the things that you had made for the project, which is the river snake that I just referred to, was inspired by the two rivers that run through Lismore. Yeah, that's right. So one of the things that we did researching and developing this project was, you know, walk around and, and sort of experience the area and the sort of ways in which humans and nature kind of intersect or don't. So in Lismore, the river is a really important presence and it didn't take long of sort of talking to people to kind of have stories of floods come out. So Lismore is at the junction of two rivers or two kind of tributaries to a river and it floods quite regularly and sometimes quite dramatically and catastrophically so yeah it was interesting the river is very much there in people's consciousness and and in their subconscious and yet the town is sort of turns its back to the river none of the buildings face the river the river's not visible from the town even though it's right there and we were sort of quite struck by that and by this sort of presence and also this absence and this is definitely something that people in the town are aware of as well and that we spoke about with with a number of, of locals and so I guess one of the things we wanted to do with the gallery space was to sort of bring the outside in and also the inside out. So I guess in really thinking about the waterways and their kind of role and presence, we we created these big soft sculptures that sort of hug the walls of the gallery. And for us, they were sort of this way of, of bringing that the presence of that river into the space to sort of start conversations and mm-hmm. also, I guess, as a soft sculpture to kind of soften that very institutional space of the gallery as well and make something that people can kind of move around the space and sit on and lie on and and sort of be embraced by. Mm. That's the thing, to have a look on Instagram if you are checking because it looks pretty beautiful and the way that people have used it is actually really telling of the project. Talking about working with uh, people and having a participatory aspect of this work, one other thing that is a part of a rich program of workshops and conversations that you have developed is something called uh, the first sentences and it is inviting the community to write the first sentence of a story of a future that they would like to see happen, come to life. How did you find this? What sentences came to you? Is there a sentence or some sentences that really stood out for you out of all this? It's been so interesting because the responses have been like incredibly varied and because this is something that people of all ages and abilities can participate in it's also you know uh, given us a really exciting and sometimes really strange set of responses which we've really enjoyed one of the things that I've sort of 
noticed and remarked upon to Beck in conversations about the submissions we're receiving is, especially with younger participants, it's been really interesting how the first sentence submissions might include no grammar or made up words or sounds or sort of onomatopoeic responses Mm. that I think is particularly interesting because in the context of trying to think from non-human perspectives, it's like such an easy trap to fall into to anthropomorphize or to Mm. give human qualities or Mm. apply human rules to the way a critter thinks or the way a river system behaves. And so seeing especially these young people's responses to the exercise sort of ignoring the human rules of communication has been really lovely because there's like poetics and there are rhythms and patterns to the way that they're using language Mm. and characters to express themselves and I think you know one of the things that we've talked about with people coming to the workshops is like the trickiness of sort of trying to decouple human perspectives when we are trying to inhabit non-human perspectives so mm-hmm. and how how to avoid i guess the pitfalls of thinking as though human but made of some other material or coming yeah. from some other perspective so that's been really interesting which is also what you were attempting to do as part of a story workshop where you were actually writing from the non-human perspective were you using those first sentences as prompts Mm -hmm. for that yeah so those workshops start by generating some first sentences with the participants and then we spend some time sort of moving out from the gallery space and into the surrounding areas so the galleries surrounded by some public space with sort of lawn and plants and and so we all spend time kind of out like really closely observing something in the surrounding environment and really trying to inhabit that thing or that entity and and sort of trying to write a stream of consciousness from that while inhabiting that perspective and then we do also come back and use the first sentences and use each other's first sentences and try and kind of write the future that somebody else has started And what will happen with these stories? Are you going to publish them or will they be accessible to the public after the exhibition? Yeah, well, we're still sort of, I guess, in conversation about what all of this creative material, how it might live after the project physically closes in the gallery. We're quite keen to perhaps develop a book of beginnings, which might include the first sentences contributed Mm. by the public. But as yet, we haven't decided where those things might live on after the conclusion of the project, but we're looking for ways for us to sort of establish a framework by which maybe that work can continue even when we're no longer there. So Mm. there are lots of pretty passionate locals who we've been in conversation with who hopefully we can find a way to sort of allow that work to continue and for that sort of body of knowledge and that little archive to sort of find a home somewhere. Mm. And apart from writing together, you have also been reading together every week. You have a reading group, reading a variety of texts on sustainability. How are you picking up the texts for that? And why is it important for you? Because the format of the reading group is that we gather and we read 
with each other, to each other, voicing the words. Why was this important for you that the words are spoken out loud to each other rather than just preparing and reading in advance and then just discussing the text? Mm. So the reading group has been a really lovely part of the project for us and was sort of established as a way to really unpack a lot of the ideas in the project because there's sort of a lot that comes into it and we wanted to really take time to think that through with people who are interested and it also meant that you know the weeks that we weren't actually up there in Lismore we could still be connecting and you know having those conversations with people so the texts themselves are drawn from a little reading library which is housed in the exhibition space and it's a combination of texts that Connie and I have been interested in through our research for this project and and over the years as well and then texts that local people that we've been chatting with and working with have recommended and, and lent to us for this exhibition so you know one of the things that people can do in the space is actually sit and read and you know browse choose a book choose a text and and just uh, spend some time with it and so each week the readers will choose the text for the following week based on what's in the library or sometimes based on uh, just their own interests and yeah, you mentioned the reading to each other and there's just something really lovely about being read to and about hearing the words as well. Like I think often when you read to yourself, you know, you can sort of pass quite quickly and kind of skim over the words and I think that there is something about about reading out loud and about being read to that allows the words to kind of fall differently and allows for that really immediate response as well. So instead of exploring the text more academically I think it allows us to be a bit more intuitive and a bit more sort of immediate with our responses which I think is really nice Mm. and also different people put emphasis on different things in the text so it brings it to life to others as well something that maybe wasn't as significant to you you can actually hear and realize that it meant a lot to someone else which is another just generator of discussion I guess you have mentioned how this was one of the projects that allowed you to be in Sydney while still interacting with the community there and actually community from around the country and could have been around the world really because the part of it or the whole uh, series happened also online and mm. live when you were there. Which uh, brings me to a question about this COVID-generated shift to the online aspects of any artwork these days. What new possibilities for your work has this brought for you? And uh, have you been resistant to it at the beginning and maybe changed your mind about it? Or, yeah, how do you feel about the online possibilities? Well, I guess there are a couple of things that come to mind for me. The first is this idea of, I guess, deep conversation. I think Beck and I both thought that this perhaps wasn't possible unless you were physically sharing space with somebody Mm -hmm. because there's, there are like intimacies that happen by being able to read facial expressions and body language. And especially because Beck and I work with most often people we've never met before and that idea of establishing intimacy and a certain level of like understanding and trust in order to undertake an activity together is something which I think we both thought needed to have us there in person Mm -hmm. for and I think by virtue of necessity of last year and the projects we were working on um, remotely there became this need for 
that intimacy and that depth of conversation and people just had to sort of lean into those mediums that became available like the zoom session and I think I certainly found you know the online space quite exhausting in terms of my energy levels initially but I guess over a long period of needing to use that and communicate and host and facilitate conversations over the past year it's I guess we've just developed modes of operating in that space in which those things can happen and those things are possible and so I think that's been quite surprising for Mm. me to sort of understand that that time and space for deeper slower conversations is actually possible via these mediums and can establish different sorts of solidarities across time and space. You're on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Poesis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. And with me in the studio is artist duo Make or Break, and we are talking about their work, Department of Non-Human Resources, which is involving community in thinking about futures. Talking about community and collaborative thinking, you yourself are a collaborative duo. So I'm interested in finding out how the two of you met or started collaborating and why do you prefer collaborative practice to the solitary individual artist practice? Connie and I have been working together as Make or Break for about five and a half years now. And we actually do each have solo practices as well. And then we collaborate alongside that we met I guess through both being artists and sort of you know going to the same spaces and um then Connie got a dog and I would uh I would be that person at the exhibition he's like oh I'll hang outside with with your dog anyway so we'd we'd sort of start started chatting a non-human resource brought you together yeah pretty much yeah and then we got chatting because we'd both lost access to studio space around the same time basically the creep of, of gentrification and being sort of priced out of, of spaces. And uh, we were talking about, you know, that difficulty of trying to like make work for an exhibition when, you know, you didn't have space to make the work in. And we came up with this idea for a project, which we pitched to first draft gallery. And um, the idea was that we would use the exhibition space as a working space. So we're sort of trying, I guess, to find ways to work when, living in the city was was not really allowing us to do that but also we were really interested in what it meant to give up individual authorship and we we invited the audience to bring in materials for us to work with so we had our tools but we sort of co-authored with the audiences who brought in things for us to make with and then we would each take turns in the gallery working with those materials and working on top of what the other had done and so we sort of really started exploring a lot of those ideas early on yeah and the collaboration just kind of expanded from there Mm. and I think we've both found it a really interesting and valuable outlet to have kind of alongside individual practice you know to have that opportunity to kind of test other ideas out and to kind of try things that certainly I wouldn't have been brave enough to try on my own. Mm. You have just answered my next question which is what is the benefit of collaborative practice and I guess it's courage it gives you a bit of support next to you for your ideas to develop Is there anything else that comes to mind as a benefit of working collaboratively? I mean, I think there's something 
that is really lovely about being able to co-develop a work with someone. So to have an idea that is then challenged or pushed or sort of encouraged by another person to sort of develop that thinking, I think is a core part of why we continue to work together. This idea that independently, yes, we can have ideas and we can sort of internally critique them, but it's not the same as having someone there to sort of think with and think Mm -hmm. alongside. And I think even though we do still have our own independent practices, this idea of sort of operating in isolation is something that I think Beck and I have always challenged or like felt challenged by because nothing happens in a vacuum. Like any sort of practice is always connected to a community of peers who talk through concepts or challenge each other and I guess our practice is a way of acknowledging the reference points that go into making artwork and that might be your peers as artists and sort of critical thinkers but also the communities which your art is produced with and for which is what the Department of Non-Human Resources is exactly about. And coming back to that work, and we spoke about the soft sculpture River Snake, and recently, I believe, 10th of May, so maybe a weekend or a couple of weekends ago, you had an event called River Procession, where the participants or community was invited to take the soft snake on the shoulders to the river bank. Why was it important for you to take part of the conversation outside next to the water the idea of taking these river snakes out of the gallery and and walking them down to the river was something that we'd sort of pictured from the start of this show as I guess we really wanted to kind of test the versatility of these objects that we were making and working with and thinking with and take them out of the gallery and into the world and particularly into you know into spaces where there was more I I was going to say nature I mean we're still sort of in a town but you know natural world um and as I was sort of talking a bit about before, given the sort of the role that the river plays in the lives of local people, we particularly wanted to spend time down by the river to, I guess, observe the river and, and sort of think about the different systems and relationships that play there. And um, I guess this idea of the procession gave us uh, it was sort of this way to sort of combine something quite playful and quite collaborative and this sort of collaborative effort which was quite challenging actually to carry this quite heavy soft Mm. sculpture together through town you know down to the river so it's sort of this quite absurd collective activity I think we were sort of combining this absurdity and this kind of humor with the sort of more seriousness and reflectiveness of you know spending time by this body of water that's sort of it's life-giving and it's also destructive and really trying to tease out those different strains and ideas and, and, and kind of have some potentially like challenging conversations. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering if being outdoors also changes the way that we think rather than being surrounded by four walls and the ceiling above us, just having a blue or whatever sky above us and the fresh air is whatever level of freshness it is it's still an open horizon in a way in front of us it does something to us I think in yeah. the way that we are able to think absolutely I mean I think there's limitations to the kind of thinking that can happen in a sort of 
white cube gallery space or, you know, that it does maybe push your thinking in a certain way or you feel like you have to act in a particular way, which we do try and break down with how we kind of address this space. And, and definitely we felt that getting outside enables different kinds of thinking and different kinds of conversations. And I think when you're out in the world, you realise that it never stops moving. Like there are inputs coming, you know, from all directions, which is something which we can sort of convince ourselves is not happening when you've got four walls and a roof around you and you're in a temperature and humidity controlled environment, you know. Mm, Very sterile. You forget that the nature exists and that you're a part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that you're connected to it. You can't. Mm. You can't ignore that connection when it's happening around you. And Mm. I think, you know, it's what what do we pay attention to in that space? It's Mm. very different, as you say, Mm -hmm. from what you can pay attention to in a constructed space. Mm. What outcomes did the Department of Non-Human Resources create so far? What questions have been answered for you and what new questions have arised? such a tricky question such a good question but hard to answer when you're sort of in the middle of a project um I think with the projects that we make it's always the unanticipated outcomes or questions or behaviors that arise as part of that project that become the most interesting to us and I think what's emerged from that project as it still continues is that there, there are sort of like, you know, like a dozen diehard fans that keep coming to every activity and every workshop we put on because they're really deeply connecting with the content and the ideas. And those are the people who are going to continue those conversations in town. Like when we're back in Sydney and that exhibition no longer has a place in the gallery And so I think it's really important to be respectful and aware of the depth of relationships that you can sort of create or prompt with a project like this. That's always, I think, surprising to us. There's always like a few people who engage with our projects in a particular way that is memorable or meaningful for them, like long after the project has departed. Mm. We're slowly coming to the end of the show. It goes quickly. You're on Issa Radio 89.7 FM. I'm talking to the artist duo Make or Break about their work, Department of Non-Human Resources. And as part of this project, uh, as part of the reading groups that you were running, there was one reading group where you were asking questions of future, and there were four questions that were asked to reading participants. And I would love to end this show asking you those four questions. <laughs> you can choose to answer individually or jointly as make or break. And the first question was, what do we need to let go of? Um, I'll just provide a little bit of context for this. So the reading group for that week, we were looking at a particular article from the Groundswell. It's a newspaper produced by the Candor School of Cultural Adaptation, who are really amazing. It's a really amazing project run out of central West New South Wales. And we were looking at the outcomes of a a kind of a workshop that was run by Sarah Schmuder. And yeah, she'd sort of posed these questions to people in this, uh, in a workshop. And 
the results had been published as kind of this big sort of list of responses to these four quite big sort of open-ended questions. So we read through them as a group and then people sort of had the opportunity to answer them for themselves. And some people found this quite challenging, including me, um, because (laughs) they are huge questions. And I guess maybe rather than answer all four of them, I might just answer the last one. Which is how do we move toward the change we want? Yeah, and there was a lot of discussion with the answers around the need for ritual in our lives that provides some context and purpose to why we are going to have to make the big changes in our lives to create the futures we want. And so for me, there was this interesting tension between productive labor or productive energy, this idea that everything we do has to have a clear defined product at the end of Mm. the day and thinking more about the idea of healing as a ritual. And I found this idea of putting our energies into repair and healing Mm. of structures and systems that don't benefit us and certainly don't benefit the ecologies in which we live as being such an important Mm. mental shift to make because I think we're all quite caught up in this idea that everything we do has some sort of productive purpose and I think if we were to shift into this idea of a repair or a healing purpose that we might make quite different decisions about where we invest our time and energy. Mm. Do you want to answer maybe the same question we can just finish with how do we move towards the change that we want Rebecca um my sort of gut response to that question was to slow down reprioritize and to take care of each other it is uh, I've asked Claire Albrecht the poet these questions and yeah it was all about community working together and We also spoke, Claire and I, about when you speak about repair, this uh, thing called the epicormic growth, which is where the burnt trees grow on the sides as a temporary lungs to survive before the crown at the top is built. And once the crown at the top is built, these leaves fall down because the healing has taken place. So what is this epicormic growth in terms of us humans is a nice thing to ponder. Thank you for being here, both of you, and good luck with the rest of your exhibition. Thank you so much, Ira. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to ESAD Radio 89.7 FM, Arts Monday Symposies this morning. I will be with you in four weeks' time, and we will hear more from the artists and writers who works, raise environmental consciousness. Mm-hmm.